0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me for another episode. and I'm really excited today to have a brand new guest to the program. Never had before. We have Pastor Jeff Woods, and I'm real excited to talk with him. And we're going to get a little bit of his testimony. But then also, we're just going to kind of have some fun today. And we are going to uh, respond to some YouTube shorts about zionism some of you might have seen a couple episodes i did a while back with pastor boyle where we responded to youtube shorts about the rapture uh but this one we're gonna do uh we're gonna watch videos about zionism from youtube and i've seen these but pastor woods has not seen these videos yet and so we're gonna get his uh just you know authentic response to all of these and i think you all will enjoy this program But Pastor Woods, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell tell everybody a little bit about you and your ministry.
1: Yes, I appreciate you having me on. I'm Pastor Jeff Woods. I'm a fundamental independent Baptist pastor, have been for over 30 years. I was born again as a young man at Dodge City, Kansas. Um, I've uh, married my wife, met my wife here in Sun City Baptist Church. The building itself is 120 years old. It's always been a Baptist church. Um, the Lord called me to the ministry in this church here. Um, we ran a girl's home for a number of years, saw a lot of girls' lives changed. Young people I had a burden for our nation and for what was going on in the homes. And so we, we took in a lot of young ladies and I've done a lot of studying over the years, seeking for the, the power or the presence of God. An understanding of scripture and during that time i turned from zionism as the apostle paul did in the book of philippians i noticed something when the apostle paul was talking about he wanted to find the power and the knowledge of christ he listed all the things that he counted as loss and i got to thinking i need to count all those things as loss also apostle paul said i was born to the tribe you know the israel of benjamite i was circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of benjamin a pharisee of the pharisees and all of those things he said i counted as loss and as done that i might know the knowledge of christ and i might have the more of the presence and power of christ so i made a decision to turn from all of this secular israel in the middle east but all of my love and heart into christ and his church and uh that's that was the time when i turned from zionism and so uh i was raised dispensationalist my uh my pastoral training i had four pastors who trained me and i loved them very much my father was a pastor and i had three other pastors who worked with me but uh my dispensational training i had to slowly just begin to move away from it so that i could put all of my love and all of my interest into Christ and finding the knowledge of Christ. So I did like the apostle Paul did. And I just say also, um, as far as my background, my dad went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. Years ago, he graduated with the late Jerry Falwell. My dad also graduated with a Christian Palestinian. And I remember as a young man, my dad telling me the story of this Christian Palestinian who whose family was a prominent family in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and uh, how that, in 1948, the soldiers, the people came, well, it was the Ergon, mainly, the uh, terrorist organization by Menachem Begin, had moved in and took his family, lined them up in the street at the Nakba, made them all kneel down, Christian Palestinians, and shot them all in the back of the head except for this one young man, and he escaped and eventually came to America, went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri with my dad. And I remember my dad would say, you know, he never did celebrate the days to celebrate Israel. And my dad said a lot of preachers were really upset at him. And I remember as a kid saying, yeah, but he watched them shoot and kill his whole family, Christian Palestinians. And he watched them kill a lot of Palestinians and then take their homes. So that always stuck in the back of my mind over the years. And finally, i came to this point where like the apostle paul i counted all of that but lost and turned my focus only on christ and his church all of that came back out and i i got in contact with some of the baptists there's a lot of baptist palestinians and it was a sad day brother because i remember when i wrote to these christian palestinians on the internet i found them on the internet some of the relatives of this young man who stayed in palestine And I told him I wanted to develop a friendship with them. And I told him about my father and and, uh, his past. And one of the saddest things was this fellow wrote me back and he said, please do not contact me or any of the Christian Palestinians. And I wrote back and said, why? And he said, if you become friends with us, he said, you are going to lose your fellowship with the preachers in America.
2: Hmm.
1: And I said to him, well, I've already lost some of it, so I don't really care. I said, nobody tells me who my friends can be. I'm independent Baptist. Nobody is going to, you know, browbeat me into believing a religious system that at its core denies that Jesus is the Christ. And so I tried to establish a relationship with him, and he was willing to, but he finally just said, I don't want to. Jeopardize your ministry. And to me, that was pretty sad because that goes to the book of James. You know, when the they took the people from the temple, the rich men of this world, set them up on the front of the church there in James. And these men who blaspheme the name of Christ, and they were unbelieving Jews in the book of James, they put them on the front row and they honor them and they bless them. And they take the poor of this world that are rich in faith and they set them in the very back and say, you're not worthy of our attention. The book of James was written about, we could apply it directly to Christian Zionism today. So that's kind of my testimony and why I moved from the Christian Zionist type of uh, of thinking and dispensationalism. And I say, I guess I was a dispensationalist. I remember as a young man and as a young preacher, I tried to preach a lot of dispensationalism but I never could really, I'd prepare for the sermon and I'd get ready to preach it. And there'd be so many things in the Bible that just didn't line up. And so a lot of times I would cancel my sermon at the last minute, sometimes standing behind the pulpit until I came to that day where I counted all of that stuff, but lost or but dung, I counted it all but lost. And it's like the knowledge of Christ just began to flow through me. I could open my Bible anywhere. It all began to make sense. Finally, everything fit together. So that's my testimony of how I moved from the old dispensational position of Zionism to where I am at today. And I have paid a price. I paid a price in my girl's home. I say I don't care. Sometimes, you know it, it, you know, you have sometimes preachers will call you up and say, Brother Woods, I can't fellowship with you anymore. I can't support you. And I'll say, but wait a minute, you know, I've taken in some of your girls. Aren't they in church? Are not they married to Christians? Yes, you did a fantastic job. But they'll say, if you don't stand with Benjamin Netanyahu and secular Israel today, we can't stand with you. And I have had people say, well, Brother Woods, if you don't stand with Israel, I doubt if you're even saved, which I immediately come back with by saying, well, then you're basically saying, If I don't go back under the old covenant law of Mount Sinai with wanting to rebuild the temple, then apparently I'm not saved. So that's kind of my testimony Hmm. right along those lines.
0: Now, that's good. You know, it's amazing. uh, You would mentioned just how even when you were younger, just kind of some of the things in the back of your mind. And I can think of many things like that when I was younger, even as a little kid, just thoughts that I had. Uh, that turned out were scriptural. It was like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. But then you have the Zionism on uh, this dispensationalism that's kind of been put on you that causes you to just kind of ignore those things. And I, I am just this year, I have been amazed at just all the things that have become so much more clear to me in the scripture. Just when you understand how Christ is the fulfillment of all things, it, even in salvation, you know, Christ is, it's it's about his work. It's about what he has done. It's not about what we do. And um, my message I'm preaching this Sunday, uh, as of the recording of this uh, on Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the doctrine of grace. And when you understand unmerited favor, that is, I think that's a great definition. I think it's accurate. We did nothing to merit God's favor with us. But there was some, there is something that god sees that causes that favor in people and it's christ you know that's 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 what it all comes down to and we have taken so much focus off of christ and are putting it on ethnicity putting it on people and that's just against everything the new testament teaches It's against everything that the old testament pointed to and i find it frustrating and so um you know it, it sounds like too, and you know that you know you've taken some heat uh politically as a result of this but i'm glad I'm glad you didn't let it affect you and you know, i think we've all taken political heat for it, but honestly uh people that will throw you under the bus for this kind of thing you know so you can have that friendship i'm not i'm not interested
1: in it exactly, and you know i've i've uh I don't share a whole lot of the details, but in our girls' home, we we did end up in court. And uh, we had, it was a custody case, was what it began as, the young lady. And I won't go into all the details, but we won in court. We won uh, hands down, but it was, it was another Zionist church who had taken us in to court. And while I was sitting there in court, their lawyer kept saying, Mr. Woods is anti-Semitic. Mr. Woods should not be running a girls' home. He doesn't stand with the nation of Israel. And, um, and so I was able to explain to my lawyer at the time, we had a lawyer that God blessed us with a Christian man who volunteered his time. And I explained, I do not hate the Jewish people. They are some of the finest people in the world. They need to be saved. But, and so we, we were in court and we were, the church tried to shut our girls home down, tried to get me into trouble. Uh, They were so angry that I don't stand with this Zionist thing that they've all been taught. And I just simply said, I stand with Jesus Christ. I stand with his church. And I said, Jewish people are not less than anyone. They're not greater than anyone. I said, they're all like the rest of us. Like Romans says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they all need saved. We won that case. The judge praised us for what we were doing. He signed the girl back to our custody. And then uh, six or seven months later, we uh, ended up, uh, same exact situation. We ended up, the sheriff came down and told us to go. And uh, we were basically being put under arrest. Mm. (laughs) It was the same thing. And it was, we went into the interrogation room. They had the Kansas Bureau of Investigation in there. And this church had pushed for this. And they said, Brother Woods, if he doesn't stand with Israel, we're going to destroy him. And we would sit in the interrogation room and uh, they asked me the question again, where do you stand with the Jews? They asked our girl's homegirl. She answered very well. She said, they're not any more or any less. They're just people like anyone else who need a savior. And they asked her, they said, does Mr. Woods ever degrade the Jewish people? She said, no, he does not. He stands against the religion and the political ideology. And the second time we won, hands down, The case was thrown out, and the uh, the FBI woman, she became one of our best friends. And she said, "You guys are doing a fantastic job." But these these guys will. There is such a bitterness and an anger, and it's almost like a cult. I hate to say it, because you know all cults have one thing in common: they all take down Jesus Christ. Well, you look at the founders of Zionism. They all 100% deny Jesus Christ. They don't require that the Christians that get involved with it deny Christ. But the founders of it deny Christ. All cults require that you love them and their ideology more than you love your father and your mother and even your God, your country, and your church. And, brother, I have come to the conclusion that Christian Zionism is very cult-like. So, yeah, and it's...
0: Yeah, there's definitely a, a mafia mentality with it for sure. And so, yeah, it, and just people just need to be bold and just stand up to these people. You know, just, just stand up to them. Uh, they can't win a theological argument. They don't have theology on their side. All they have is outrage. Uh, they express great outrage at anything you say. They say anti Semitism, which just tells me you don't have a scriptural argument. So you're just going to attach a nasty label. And um, yeah, so I, I just personally think they're cowards and you know and i don't get me wrong some people believe it some people truly believe it because they've been convinced but those ones aren't the ones calling you anti-semitic and typically they won't break fellowship with you
1: Over, i might throw this in here too
2: mm-hmm. i don't
1: believe that everybody who supports israel is in a cult i'm right. not saying that. don't mm-hmm. get me wrong i'm going to the founders of this mm-hmm. christian scientist movement and i'm going to those who have been told the truth and are so uh, you know angry and arrogant and they won't listen to anything you show them out of the bible or anything else but i'm not saying that everybody that loves israel is in a cult necessarily mm-hmm. i'm just saying that the whole ideology is cult like let me put it that way yeah. i yeah. myself ad- adhered to a lot of it for a lot of years until i researched the truth
2: so mm-hmm. I might yeah clear that up.
0: Yeah, yeah, same same thing with me. And I'll, I'll say too, even back when I was pro Israel, some of these people used to freak me out at just how pro Israel they were. It's just like, really, you guys are having Israel Sunday at your church? Um, yeah. I was I was always off put by Israeli flags on platforms and churches, right. uh, the the lapel pin with the American flag and Israeli flag, that always bothered me. Even when I was pro Israel, I wouldn't wear that. I just thought it just. Yeah, it it was very off putting to me, but um, but yeah. So I've always enjoyed some of your, uh, you know, a lot of your posts and things that you've done about Zionism, and I thought it would be fun to just kind of have you on the program, and I'll watch we'll watch some videos and maybe just let you rant about them a little bit. And so I think it'll be fun. So I've got I've got several uh, just short videos that I like, uh, and one thing I want the audience to be paying attention to is it's When when you have false doctrine, you can never just read a scripture or use a scripture to prove your doctrine. You read some scripture and then you got to add a whole ton of commentary. And that's what you're going to see these people do uh, in in a lot of these videos. But uh, this first one, we're going to watch a Jew who believes that he is a chosen person trying, trying very hard to be humble about it. And if you ask me, failing miserably. So let's go ahead and watch this video.
3: Does being Jewish and being the chosen people make us superior in any way? Is there an, something about that that, you know, is is a privilege and is something to be proud of?
4: Absolutely, yeah.
3: Judaism is adamantly opposed to, to walking around with our nose up in the air or looking down our nose at anybody. That That's not a contradiction to appreciating that we have what is first and foremost an outsized responsibility and level of expectation there's nothing wrong with feeling a sense of pride and privilege in that does judaism believe we are the chosen people yes does it believe therefore we are entitled to walk around and look down at anyone else absolutely not we've chosen to be a shining light to be examples and to lead the way in making the world a better place that's the first and foremost all right. <laughs> all
2: right so what I'm are your so thoughts on that
1: proud I'm humble
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it was kind of like uh because I mean when you say you are the chosen people you know there when you when you're saying when you're te- telling people you know you are special because you're Jewish but at the same time we all know pride's wrong we're not supposed to look down at everybody so you know are we the chosen people you know are we all these things well yeah you know do we look yeah, down on obviously we could but because
1: we are so wonderful we don't <laughs> So, and you and I going around telling people maybe knocking doors or just talking on here and saying we baptists we are superior mm-hmm. we are you know you just just talking to people that way but i noticed that he mentioned there that he said we jews are the light to the gentiles now paul covered that in romans chapter two he said are you really the light to the gentiles You that say you should not commit adultery, look at all of your idolatry. You worship yourselves. You worship yourselves. We can, you know, I can go back and look at some of the founders of Zionism, including men like Moses Hess, who was one of the founders of communism. And in his whole book, he said, I don't believe in God, but he said, I believe that God will give us the land. And then he explained that he said, because we Jewish people are God. Oh, there's a lot of them that believe they are God and we see that the the, and I'm not knocking all Jewish people, the race, but we see that the the man that went to the temple to pray, and the Bible says he prayed unto himself, his God was his belly. So, this, uh, so when he says, we are a light to the Gentiles, now Jesus said that the church, he said, you are the light of the world, and he took the light in the kingdom away from secular Israel, and he bless the church with it but yeah um the humility and the pride all of zionism is based on pride christian Zionism is based on pride it's it's not based on like abraham had faith in god and humbly followed god and believed him you know abraham didn't follow the laws of moses abraham didn't do all this he just had faith in god and that's the true humility that's what we get saved with Mm. so yeah he was trying real hard to uh throw in there that he was humble while yeah.
0: he was <laughs> well and think about this too because some might say well you baptist you think you're better than everybody but what first off baptist is an identifier of you know our our doctrine but uh we i've never met a baptist that thought you had to be baptist to go to heaven and right. what is it that we teach when it comes to going to heaven it's not about us it's not about our religion it's about jesus it's about what he did again Jesus is the fulfillment. So if we have anything that's special about us is because of who is in us. It is because of Jesus Christ. It is not because of our flesh. It's not because of our race. And so the reality is those who teach true salvation, I mean, truly have, they are the humble ones. They've humbled themselves as a little child. They've recognized their inability to be anything acceptable to God on their own. And they have just, trusted in the mercies of God and through and believed on Jesus Christ. And so, um, yeah, And again, in Jesus, who happened to be from Israel and was Jewish, he was the chosen, you know, he was the elect. And and so uh, to see Baptist still looking at an ethnicity, you know, with all this admiration stuff, that stuff belongs to Christ. Not, right. not them.
1: So, like Paul said, I don't brag in my flesh. Right, right. There's no bragging, and all of this. Well, they're God's chosen people because their ethnicity is exactly what Jesus was warning about. Don't be bragging about your flesh. Right. Yep. So, all right, let's try it. Let's try
0: another one here.
4: And now we're living in the church age, and when that pause button is pushed, and the play button or turned off, and the play button is once again pushed, and that seven years allotted Israel begins. Where will the church be? She will not be here. She will be removed in a beautiful mystery called the rapture of the church. This is very crucial to understand when we study this out. This is why I wholeheartedly believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, because I understand what God is doing according to his word. He's going to be dealing with Israel corporately. That's one of the things, but also know this. What he's going to do in that 70th week is beautiful. Even though it's tragic, it's beautiful. Daniel 9 24 tells us this, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy.
0: That's a frustrating one right there.
1: <laughs> yes. So, so what? Are, that's what, a, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, that's a common dispensational uh, teaching. It's what we all were taught. Um, they, they try to take what Jesus did on the cross. They try to take the new covenant that we have today. It says there in Daniel chapter nine, He's going to take away sins. Well, when I got saved, my sins were taken away. Mm-hmm. He ends transgressions. He ends those for us in our hearts and every person who trusts upon him. But a lot of these guys are like, they, and I, I call it the New Testament 2.0. Hmm. I have a lot of preachers that say, well, Jesus came in the first century. He died on the cross. He gave us Gentiles grace and salvation, forgave us our sins. But he's coming with a third Testament or some of them say a new New Testament just for the Jews. No, the Jews get the same Testament you and I get. Jesus died on the cross in the first century. He paid for the iniquities. He came to seek and save that which was lost in the first century. He came to the Jews at first. He did come to the Jews at first. He came to the Jews. He came to seek and save all that were lost. And he brought thousands of them into the kingdom, into the church. And then, of course, we Gentiles later were added on or even during his ministry. But a lot of people just sidestep all of that and they say, well, Jesus, that's something that's going to happen in the future, sometime nationally to Israel. And I say to a lot of people, they ask me, they say, do you believe that God has a plan for the Jews in the future? Or, you know, and I say, sure, absolutely. I say every Jew needs to come hear the gospel or have it preached to them. They need to listen to the gospel, accept Jesus as Christ, the savior, like I did as a young man and that that by faith alone without works come and get baptized join a church the baptism of course doesn't save you they need to join a local church and then they need to go go out and start soul winning to their lost that's that's god's plan for the jews and everybody's like oh brother woods that's not very exciting but that is the new testament that's the gospel that's the plan so like i said a lot of these guys are trying to take this and say there's going to be some future time And they say, we have to rebuild the temple, reinstitute the sacrifices. And then there's going to be this big national revival for, you know, Jews. Well, I think there was a pretty good revival for Jews in the first century. Multitudes, multitudes were being saved, but, uh, that's my answer to that.
0: Yeah. I'm amazed at how many people will take, um, prophecies of things that God promised to Israel and just declare that they didn't happen when they already clearly happened in the scripture. There were multitudes of Jews that got saved. It's like, go read the story of Pentecost, 3,000 one day, 5,000, you know, later. And then, you know, right. So that is the fulfillment. But again, they, they're looking for something more like what the Jews who rejected Christ were looking Mm -hmm. for. And that that's what they're missing. And it's like, they are insisting, that the that the understanding of prophecy that the Jews who rejected the Messiah had is the accurate you know way to look at things. Now I think we should look at things the way Jesus explained them, the way Paul explained them, you know, the, the way we see them play out. And so they are they're demanding these things in the future. But on that video, if people go back and watch this. You know, just all the word you know certain words they use too. You know, the rapture of the church, that is not a phrase in the Bible, the rapture of the church, that concept isn't even in the Bible, the rapture of the church, but they insist on saying that as a way to distinguish the church from Israel. And in reality, that whole teaching that, you know, the church should not replace Israel and the distinction between church and Israel. It's kind of a straw man argument when, especially coming from Baptists who do agree that we, you know, as they would say, are in the New Testament church age. That Christ abolished the sacrifices. He abolished those carnal ordinances. You know, they, they will agree with all that. And so it's like, okay, if Jesus got rid of those things, then obviously that's going to mean things are going to look different than they did before. And so that's right. where, too, if we follow what they're saying to its logical conclusion then you would have to conclude that, well, then we're going to have to go back to that old Testament economy, which I think is just major heresy. And you really have to turn Hebrews on its head.
1: My question is why didn't Jesus ever say that when Jesus was talking about the Olivet Discourse and he said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, he talked about, you're not going to have one stone left upon another. And the temple, Herod's temple, was going to be destroyed and left desolate, all this stuff here. But why didn't Jesus stop and say, but 2,000 years later in 1948, and he didn't even have to give a date. But why didn't Jesus say, this thing's going to be rebuilt. We're going to restart the sacrifices. People say, well, you have to go back. I've had a lot of people tell me, they said, read a Schofield Bible and you'll understand it. (laughs) Well, I was (laughs) raised on a Schofield Bible. I know Schofield inside and out. But they say, you have to go back and look at this construct. You have to read Larkin's charts. You have to read, and they give me all these people to read. And I say, but why didn't Jesus just say, Hey, we're going to restart this nation in 1948. And, um, and then people go to that? well, they say it's found in there. They say in the Olivet Discourse, they say, look, Jesus said, when you see the budding of the fig tree. Those people are either not reading their Bible or not intellectually being honest because you look in Luke, Luke says, when you see the budding of the fig tree and what's the rest and all other trees, then know that summer is nigh. Mm. So Luke puts all other trees. Does that mean in 1948, all the nations in the world were reborn? You know, it's just ridiculous. And Jesus never said a lot of these things that these people are making up. So Mm. yeah
0: yeah the foolishness of the budding of the fig tree uh idea that was one of the things that originally started me down the path that i'm on because i never bought into that i'm like that's that doesn't make sense
1: one verse one verse that is not extremely clear now what do they tell us in hermeneutics if you're going to make a a big theological uh, uh construct or your basic belief don't form it on one verse and particularly don't form it on a verse that's not really easy to understand mm-hmm. and yet we have had we have had billions of dollars sent over to this secular nation in the middle east that's secular religious nation over in the middle east nobody questions them um we have had thousands and thousands and thousands of people died a lot of bloodshed all over one verse pulled out of context you know so So, uh, that's, that's just not very good hermeneutics. And it's, it's costing us a lot.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I, I believe that the budding of the fig tree, you know, is talking about when you see the budding of the fig tree and all other trees and the herbs, uh, Jesus was talking about, you know, you know, that summer is nigh, but he did not say, uh, you know, he's talking about, he went, he went to Israel. He looked to see if there was any fruit. There wasn't any fruit. He came and he said, but be careful when I come you know, in, in judgment, it's not going to be very good. But like I said, people have turned that into this, um, um, 1948 thing. And it's just, it gave that thing its head and it has just went crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So well,
1: let's watch this
0: video. This is also, uh, related to the whole, you know, church in Israel argument. And it, and it is, it's, it's just very interesting. The things that the extra biblical terms that this guy has to insert in here. And and it just shows when people are all using these same extra biblical terms and that you can't find in the scriptures, it shows they're getting their theology from books rather than from uh, the scripture. So let's listen to what he has to say.
5: We are not the nation of Israel. We have not replaced Israel at all, which is another reason why we are we don't believe in replacement theology. It's completely false. But we are pre tribulation because we make a very clear distinction between the church and Israel. Now, you young people listening in the back, the church's last days are what? Let me hear you say spiritual. Israel's last days, which isn't now, it's going to happen after the church is raptured, it will be. Physical in nature. They will face physical problems. We are facing spiritual problems. Is there overlap? Yes, because we all have physical problems as well. But the main difference is we're spiritual people. We make a distinction between Israel and the church.
1: (laughs) Oh boy, the old uh, replacement theology. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the argument they all use. And that's supposed to shut everybody down. It's like Mm -hmm. calling you a heretic and you just like, you're supposed to back up and say, you know, okay, no more argument, but Mm -hmm. yeah. I always just say, people say, do you believe in replacement theology? And I, I always, I always do this. I say, no, I believe replacement theology is heresy. You probably heard me say this before. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't believe in replacing Jesus Christ with Benjamin Netanyahu. I do not Mm -hmm. believe in replacing Jesus Christ and his church which has spread the gospel all over the world with the secular nation of Israel. That doesn't spread the gospel. The only gospel they spread is the spreading of bombs and taking of homes. And, uh, so I say, no, I don't believe in, I believe it's heresy, but I just flip it on its, uh, on its head there and put it back the way it should be. But yeah,
0: go yeah. Ahead. Yeah, I've I've been calling what a lot, what you know the Zionists teach I've been referring to it as replacement heresy because they are the ones replacing Jesus yeah. with the Jews, and it's not a theology, it's a heresy. And yeah, I you know I I think more and more people are just like you know this replacement theology term is probably not the most accurate. Um, it's kind of a misleading term because there are a lot of uh, bad versions of replacement theology. And it does kind of send a wrong message, but uh, but yeah, in reality, they are the ones replacing things. And I actually know some preachers who are very pro-Israel, pre-trib, all that. But they, I remember listening to one of them one time, and they referred to, um, they were talking about dispensationalism, but they were calling it replacement theology, and it confused me at first. And I and I've had to tell people if you listen to these people. When they say replacement theology is heresy, they're actually right because they're talking about dispensationalism and, you know, all the things that it replaces. And so it's like, don't get mad at them when they say it, you know, because they're, they're not, they're not talking about us. (laughs) So you have to know people's language.
1: I noticed too, that guy was on that video. That was, uh, that was quite entertaining there Mm. because he's, he's talking about two bodies. I hear this all the time. They talk about two bodies. This is this was the thing that even when I was pro-Israel and I was um, I was preaching from the dispensational dispensational point of view, even back then I could not get in my head two bodies. Mm-hmm. I just I, I couldn't get that to work. And I think today, how do these guys come up with this? They say, You've got the unbelieving secular nation of Israel over here, and you have and they're God's chosen people and then you have the christians over here and we are kind of like second class um second fiddle uh parentheses in time we're we're still god's people but they say god has two bodies of people well this leads right to what is becoming not extremely common but i'm starting to hear preachers preach it and uh Dr. Phil Kidd, even though I respect him for a lot of the things he's done, he preached in our church years ago when I was a young person, but he has bought into this two bride thing. Oh, God has two brides. And he preached a whole sermon on, he said, God, the father has the nation of Israel in the middle of the East with Benjamin Netanyahu. You know, Mossad agents like Jeffrey Epstein, uh, you know, the gay parades, but God overlooks that that's God, the father's wife over here, Jesus has the church and he says and they're so they're teaching two brides where do you read in the bible that god came to prepare his brides the yeah. bible said there is one lord one faith one baptism there's one body of believers and the bible says jews and gentiles made one in christ the bible never speaks of a second body right this is heresy well ephesians 2
0: makes that as clear as any place you can go in the scripture that's the same chapter where we have for by grace are you saved through faith. So there's not a Baptist that hasn't read Ephesians two, but it's like after verse 10, they quit reading. And it's like, no, he makes it really clear. He broke down the middle wall partition. Yeah, we used to be called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, but you know, he has, he's made both one and you know, your fellow citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. it, it It's exactly what we teach, exactly what we teach. And they just, ignore it and yeah i think the two brides thing is nuts yeah i've got i've got bill grady's book in here where the dedication in the front of it it's you know I, i forgot how he words it but he's refers to god's bride israel and i i you know meaning you know not us you know meaning he he does believe god the father has a different bride and i do i think that's that's awful but uh let's let's watch this guy here uh and he does he he goes into your classic um you know extra biblical terms this guy is promotes a theology not uh not scripture and so uh let's listen to him
3: Why is there so much confusion in the church when it comes to Bible prophecy and discerning what scripture teaches about the last days? It is primarily because Christians fail to realize that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And much of what is prophesied relates directly to his promises to his chosen people long before we enter into the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth there are many events recorded in scripture that must first take place and almost all of it is centered around israel and more specifically jerusalem before you can understand the rapture of the church and the tribulation period you must first understand where things are headed ever since the writing of the prophets the jewish people have been awaiting their messiah to set up and establish his earthly kingdom from the throne of david But when Jesus came and the Jewish leaders rejected him as the true Messiah, it resulted in spiritual blindness in part to Israel. As the gospel went to the Gentiles, the church age began. But when the church is caught up and the veil is lifted, King Jesus will return.
1: So... (laughs) Oh my goodness. That guy was so wrong on so many issues. He said the yeah. blindness started when Jesus was in the first century. I just take off the top of my head. No, you read about that blindness going clear back to Isaiah. Isaiah talked about that blindness. That blindness had been there for, because of their rebellion, mm-hmm. that blindness had been there for a long time. And, but, okay, yeah, go ahead. What was you going to say? <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I mean, and you, well, what you're saying about the blindness going way back, Paul, he talked about how. Um, when they had Moses put that veil over his face, that that was, they had that same veil on their heart when the scripture is being read. And so that, yeah, that blindness in part, they've had it since they came out of Mount Sinai and rejected Christ the first time that that's when they rejected him the first time I just preached about that recently. But, um, that even that verse in Corinthians, they'll talk about, uh, when it shall turn to the Lord. The veil shall be taken away, and they read that is like prophetic that one of these days God is going to take that veil away as if God put that veil on their heart right. no they put the veil on their yes. heart, and when it shall turn to the Lord when their heart the veil will be taken away that was yes. Paul wasn't- pro- he wasn't given a prophecy of a future event he was stating a present truth
1: in fact to to bolster your point right there which was a very good point the lord took the apostle paul and he was blinded physically Mm
2: -hmm.
1: on the road to damascus and then the bible says that when he uh when he came in he accepted christ by faith and he joined with god's people what did the bible say that he said it was like scales taking off of his eyes proving that that was a first century Event that happens to individuals,
2: yes, and you know,
1: in the individual Israel, when they turn to Christ, uh, and it happened to Paul. Paul didn't have to wait two thousand years to hear John Hagee preach. He didn't have to wait for some future time. He didn't have to. It happened right there in the first century to the Apostle Paul as an individual. Uh, I believe that's to your point. If
2: yes, you're no,
1: absolutely,
0: hun- no, agree, hundred percent. Yeah, it's they have no. There, there's nothing in the New Testament that alludes to any kind of future revival coming for Israel. Okay, there's right. stuff in the Old Testament, but again, you and I would agree those things were fulfilled in Pentecost right. and in the first century.
2: Pentecost, there you go.
0: Right. That, so that was huge. That yes. Was huge. <laughs> that was a very big deal. They don't understand the prophetic significance of that. They they ignore the fact that the the apostles are pointing out this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but. You know, either way, they need something because they have decided, because they've read Schofield and these other books, a future revival for Israel is coming. Okay, and again, people get mad, like, why don't you want to believe in a future revival for Israel? I I'd love to believe in that. I want to see I'd love to see multitudes of them get saved. I just don't think there's anything in the Bible guaranteeing it. And and the verses you're using are being misapplied. And so all the ver they but they in their belief system There is going to be a future revival. So now we just got to find scripture to back it up. And so all the scriptures they use in the new Testament are ones that they, they read it as a future prophecy when the context of all of them, including in Romans 11 shows, they are speaking a present
1: truth, right? For that day. They use that type of, of teaching and it's, it's ingrained in Christian Zionism. Uh, to say, this is why we have to keep the nation of Israel afloat. This is why we got to spend billions of dollars because we are holding, we are keeping all these people here for a future time when they can all get revived. And they say they're all in blindness now. So that's why they kill people. And, you know, they've slaughtered thousands of people. They say, well, they're in blindness, but soon there'll be this national revival. And so let's look at that blindness for a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um apostle paul like i said he he turned from that blindness a lot of people use that excuse they say well um and i've had a lot of preachers tell me that I, I talk about all the communists that started communism many of them were unbelieving jews moses has trotsky we could go down the line i'm not going to get into the conspiracy theories and all this and i've had preachers say yeah but basically they're still god's people and we say we make excuses for them because they're in blindness When did Jesus ever walk up to the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes and say, you know what, you guys, I'm not going to rebuke you. You keep uh, devouring widows' houses, do everything you (laughs) want because you're you're God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. And besides that, I understand you're in blindness. You don't know what you're doing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I got into the about that. And I had preachers tell me, say, well, so she brought gay marriage to America. So she was the one person who worked with her rabbi S that rabbi woman and brought in a uh, gay marriage, you know, and they say, but she's in blindness. She didn't know what she was doing. And I'm like, come on guys. <laughs> yeah. This,
2: this, yeah.
1: You know.
0: It's, it, it's ridiculous. They'll use just anything and they'll make, they'll make nothing something. And so I keep thinking we're getting to the one where they talk about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. I think this one's it because I, I love when people bring up the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And I had a conversation one time with someone who is real big on, you know, let's use the words of scripture. And when I, I, I mentioned, and he started talking about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And that's just not, that's not in the scripture that, that, so, uh, I, I believe this is a video where the guy refers to it. Hopefully I, I got the right one this time.
6: Let's listen. God is not done with Israel. Romans chapter 11 is the definitive chapter on this. Romans chapter 11, verse one, I say, then hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And this is the apostle Paul writing here. Now, Paul is gonna reveal to us a mystery. When he uses that word, it means it's something revealed He's revealing to us that was not known before. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So right now, salvation is in the hands of the Gentiles. Now, after the rapture of the church, God is going to be focused back in on Israel. He's going to be saving them. During the tribulation period, there's going to be the 144,000. Jewish evangelists that are going to be evangelizing them God's going to save those of Israel
0: so isn't it interesting how he's reading Romans 11 showing God's not done with Israel as and then talking about the blinds apart and we've already illustrated Paul was stating a present truth he wasn't showing a, a future prophetic event but then he just he goes right into clarifying about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists after the rapture of the church. That's nowhere in Romans 11. That's not in right. there at all. And in fact, it's not even in the scriptures, but it's in theology books everywhere. Right. And the, the theologians have said, you know, we've made they've made up this event and then insert that in this passage here. Right. And so people will use Romans 11 and, as proof of like the 144,000 And I just think that's absolutely insane.
1: Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I knew a a pastor, I can say loosely friend of mine that, um, that I've had preach in our church years and years ago. And he was a pretty big preacher. I'm not trying to name a bunch of preachers names, but he went over to Israel and he marched with the Israeli military because he thought that he was going to hand out enough tracts and he would win 144,000 young Jewish virgins. In Israel, you know that's kind of the okay, never mind. But he's going to get one hundred forty-four thousand virgins saved, and he told everybody, um, "I'm going to win 144 thousand And And this stuff just goes on and on. It's it's, but yeah, they, they say this is why we are are, are keeping the nation of Israel because they said we have to preserve it for the one hundred forty-four thousand. And the Bible said, uh, "What did the Bible say?" He said, "You are you are a type of first fruits." He said to the Christians, he said to the Christians, you are the first fruits. You are uh, everything that described the 144,000. you know, we have uh, John and uh, James uh, describing 112 tribes scattered abroad, you know. And so, uh, but yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, there, I've, I'm there, i hearing more people who uh, believe that that was um, a reference to uh, first century Jewish believers. And it makes a whole lot more sense than anything I'm hearing from the futurist world. (laughs) So uh, what, what, you know, the, to think that all of a sudden we're going to find, you know, 12,000 male uh, virgins from, you know, the tribe of Benjamin when nobody knows what tribe they're from and everywhere else in the scripture, when there was a prophecy geared towards a group, you know uh, that they, there was always a record of it. Right. But but now that doesn't matter anymore. Right. So, yeah, that's frustrating. And, and the 144,000, yeah, I, I one of these days, I don't have like a st- super strong position on that. But right. I, one of these days I do want to um, do a program talking about the different views because I do think there are some very uh, good ones that make a lot of sense where most of the common ones I think are pretty dumb. And but uh all all of them are better than you know i i am I'm, I'm pretty sure I could guess who you're talking about trying to get those hundred and forty four thousand Jewish virgins saved' Cause, uh yeah i've uh, i i I remember some of that, so <laughs> but uh i I've got a few a couple more videos. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but let's go ahead and do this I, i've got I've got one that i I definitely want to get to before we're done. It's a shorter one that I think is just kind of funny. But let's go ahead and do this one. I don't remember what's on this one exactly, but let's check it out.
4: This
6: theology is not biblical. Replacement Theology believes that the church has replaced Israel in God's plans. That the many promises made to Israel in the Bible are fulfilled in the Christian church and not in Israel. There are major problems with this theology. If Israel has been replaced by the church, then the Jewish nation has no future and God's Abrahamic promise will be broken. Throughout the Bible, there are plenty of verses to read to understand that Israel is still God's chosen people. In Jeremiah 31 verses 35-36 to we read that only when the sun, moon and stars cease will the nation of Israel cease from having a place in God's plan. If God can break his covenant with the Jewish people, what's to stop him breaking his promises to us too? To believe in this theology
1: would defunct the whole Bible. Yeah, that's pretty common. Very, that, that is a very
0: common argument. But again, notice how he said um, for God to fulfill that Abrahamic promise. It's like, well, how did it not get fulfilled when the right. seed came and all the nations of the world were blessed by him? And the apostles Amen. even preached that in Acts chapter 3. Jesus Christ was that seed. Jesus Christ was that blessing. People from all over the world have been saved they are exactly. preserved they are preserved in christ so dispensationalism they act it's amazing how many promises uh they are basically stating jesus did not keep where the bible explicitly says he did keep those mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that,
1: go ahead yeah but that's it's, fru- it's it's frustrating to listen to that right and you know they they just my question is Okay, let me go back to my salvation. I gave him a little bit of that testimony. I remember when I got saved, the same man that was preaching was the same man who led my mother to the Lord as a young, uh, when she was a young girl, a brother, Bill William Wamscon. And he preached and he'd preached with tears. I remember every time there's an invitation, that man would just weep and cry. And he, he told my mom when she was a teenager, before she was married. Uh, before I was born, he told her, he said, and I'm going to get to Israel with my illustration here. He told her, he said to the congregation there at Eureka, Kansas. He said, I'm going to say John 3:16 to you before the invitation. And he said, I want you to put your name in there for God. So loved the world. And then he stopped and he said, you put your name in there. And my mom as a teenage girl said, for God, so loved Marjorie woods and she said she started crying she said he was crying she was crying and she said it dawned on me that god loved me enough to send my son nobody in israel ever did that for me nobody in israel ever gave me or anybody in the world the blessing and yet we're told those people over there are the ones that are going to bring. you know they bring the blessings to the nations and um and they say through through their seed not jesus christ when they they read seed They read the seeds and they said, they're bringing the blessing to the nation. And I have a lot of preachers tell me, well, look at the arms industry. Mm -hmm. That's the blessing to the nations. They say, look, Israel has helped with all these bombs and all these weapons industry. And so I got saved as a young man, same man preaching years later. And I was listening to brother Bill preach about how Jesus loved us so much. And he was crying again. And he said, Jesus loved you with all your heart, all of his heart. He gave his son. And I mean, I got under conviction and I kept thinking, why would he love me? I was just a kid. And I went to the altar and I just, I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I said, I want you by faith. I said, I trust you. I said, I want you to live in me from now on. Take me to heaven when I die. And, uh. Nobody from Israel did that. No, no rabbi taught me that. Nobody from Israel. Israel didn't spread the gospel all over the world. So you know that's my my contention there along those lines. But go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it, it's it's frustrating how people um, again they cannot biblically and or there's really in in no way to connect the Israel of 1948 and on. To the Israel of the Old Testament. It's the same name, it's the same geography, but what are these people's connection? What if it had been a group of Africans that went over there and conquered the land and called themselves, you know, Israel? You know, where is these people's connection? I can show my connection to the promises and to the things of of the Old Testament. My connection is through Jesus Christ, who was physically from Abraham of the tribe yes. of Judah fulfilled all those promises. I can show in the scripture where Jacob commanded his sons to follow after that man, to follow after Shiloh. I can show in the law where Moses said that a prophet, uh, the Lord's going to raise a prophet like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. And and anyone who doesn't is going to be cut off from the people. So I can, not only can I show my connection to the Israel of the Old Testament, I can show their disconnection from it, but yet because they physically have conquered the land and because they are claiming an ethnicity, nobody can show me in the scripture where just a bloodline makes you a part of something. It meant something to be a part of the nation of Israel. It meant something for there to be a nation of Israel. And they're throwing all that stuff out They're They're redefining all these things. Just like today we've redefined what a woman is, you know, well, you know Correct. what, Baptists have done the same thing. They have redefined what Israel is. They have redefined what it means to be a Jew, and basically, those who identify that way count. Well, you know what, God made Adam and Eve. God made male and female. And you know what, we we God we understand what Israel was when God made it and how it was used for a purpose. But we also understand what He did for it when He brought in the new covenant when in Christ cleansed them of their sins. And so, um they They have no theological theological backing no. for these claims. It's just stated, stated emphatically, and how dare and you challenge it?
1: Yes, well, just as I was saying that the a lot of Zionists today, Christian Zionists, they love to say, "Well, look, these people in the Middle East were born the sons of of Abraham. They are God's seed in the flesh, and that's all that really matters. And so they said they're God's people. And Jesus dealt with that exact same issue when he dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and scribes, when they were making the same argument that Christian Zionists make today, they said, um, we're special people. And, uh, John the Baptist dealt with that by saying, Hey, God could raise stones out of the ground, stop bragging about your flesh. But so Jesus dealt with the Sadducees, Pharisees and scribes and was saying to them, uh, yes, I agree that in the flesh, you are sons of Abraham, you are Jews. But then he said, but ye are of your father, the devil. So I ask a lot of pastors today, I say, how could the Pharisees, how could they be God's chosen people, God's bride, and at the same time of their father, the devil, Jesus' very words, you're of your father, the devil. So are they, does god have this mixed family with the devil mixed in there are we mormons now do we believe that jesus and the devil were brothers created at the same time you know so it's it's a convoluted mess
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: uh, and then today we ask the question what about those people over there in the middle east today you know I, I i i still have a lot of questions about a lot of things going on over there and i've gotten a lot of uh, flack for this but You know, there was a lot of Christian Palestinians that lived in and around Jerusalem, there was 30,000 in 1948, and then about 10, 12 years ago, it got down to 10,000, there's these Palestinians, the vast majority in 1948 of Jerusalem was built, the new city of Jerusalem was built by Christian Palestinians. Christian Palestinians had a tremendous majority in that area. And by the way, a lot of them are Baptist, both independent and Southern Baptist. A lot of people don't know that, but see, my question is, um, when they do the DNA samples, if that means anything, those Palestinians around Jerusalem come back with more DNA that connects with the people of two thousand years ago than a lot of these Ashkenazi, very white-skinned like me, very white-skinned people who came in 1931, 35, 1948. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a, a a, a strong dogmatic statement about it, but the question was asked, what about those people over there today? And I'm sitting there saying, and I've, I've I've wondered in my mind, you know, the Bible talks about Jerusalem and how that he would keep his people there in that area for over 2000 years. There have been Christian Palestinians off and on at different times in that area around Jerusalem, you know? And so that's, that's another study in and of itself, but to just mm. take, you know these people that are over there now, these Zionists that came in 1948, they're God's chosen people. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that.
2: Yeah,
0: well, it's. I was surprised the other day when I heard about a Baptist hospital in the Gaza Strip that got destroyed. I was like, there's a Baptist mm-hmm. hospital
1: in I the Gaza of- Strip.
0: I, I didn't know Baptists had any kind of presence. Now over that's there. an
1: interesting thing, and I did a, a cursory study on it. and I've been doing more of a study on it. It was founded in the late 1800s as anglican the anglican church established that 1950 i believe two or three the southern baptist convention uh, in america took that over and back then in 1953 southern baptist convention was way more conservative than independence today but they took it over and interesting study they said they uh they had the NACBA in 1948 They had uh, just the suffering of the Palestinian people. They had nearly a million of them homeless. Everybody leaves that part out of it. They were, their houses had been destroyed. Their families had been killed. Their homes, they'd been displaced. Their homes had been taken over by the Zionists who came in. These people went over and were serviced, taken care of. The Baptist Hospital was serving, I believe they said 900 people a day water and food and then they had the bottom floor they had a church and a chapel they were giving them the gospel hmm. this is in 1950s you can find all this information on the internet they were leading them to the lord and that's where a lot of the strong baptist palestinian movement came from a lot of baptists in there and um, so 1952 50 or 50 53 54 uh, they were Leading them to the Lord and they were doing like James says they were giving them food and water as well. Um, 1980s, the Southern Baptist Convention um, uh, got rid of it and uh, but they kept a lot of the Baptist people in there and there was a lot of independent Baptists work in the hospital as well. Fascinating study. And so the 82, they they got rid of it, but they they maintained the name Baptist, according to what I was reading, because so many Baptists stayed in that hospital. Now I've had so many Baptist preachers tell me and tell me to my face. They say those Palestinians are all 100% rotten
2: people. Mm-hmm.
1: They're of the devil. They're the sons of Satan. And I'm like, I'm get, I'm fed up to hear with that. I don't stand for that anymore. Mm-hmm. They are people made in God's image. Not all of them are Hamas. They are just people that not only need the gospel, but many of them have been given the gospel and accepted it. And they have more faith than any of us hardly in America today. And one of these days we get to heaven and we're going to see all these Palestinians. A lot of Christians are going to be like, I can't, no, no way. You know, a lot of them got saved. And let me say again, independent Baptist. My dad went to Baptist Bible college in Springfield, Missouri in 1950s with one of them. And, uh, but that Baptist, that's getting study on that thing. That's interesting. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've been meaning to look into that and I never did. I just heard about that on the news and it, it kind of shocked me because the thing is, I've always thought I'm so embarrassed by what Baptists say about Palestinians. I would I almost wouldn't want to call myself a Baptist if I had a ministry over there. Because Baptists are so hostile and hateful yes. towards Hate. Palestinians,
1: hate—that's the word, right
0: yes, there. Yes, and it is. Yeah, and and they are hateful. I mean, uh, Baptists—I showed on a previous program—you know, many of them they were like calling on Netanyahu to turn Gaza Strip into a parking lot. That's exactly. what they wanted, and uh, they have—they have no love for the Palestinian people, and and that hatred that they have, they think it's—it's it's a virtue signal, you know, to show their support and their love. For the jewish people and uh you know and back to what you were saying too you know about jesus dealing with the scribes and pharisees another thing too baptist zionist baptists don't talk about is it. again part of we often they'll refer to how the jews have rebelled against god how they've rejected jesus christ but in reality too they also rebelled against abraham because why did god choose abraham god said i know that he will command his children they were supposed to follow the commands of abraham they were supposed to follow the commands of jacob jacob told them to follow shiloh they were supposed to follow moses their national leader their spiritual leader and he said to listen to that prophet so the reality is all all is of israel who rejected christ they didn't just reject christ they rejected abraham and isaac and jacob and moses they rejected the law and that is why to claim that these people are somehow of that nation when they have rebelled against everything that nation stood for. It makes, it doesn't make any sense. It would be like, it would be like me if I was to move to another country and then there was a bunch of a nation that descended from me and then us to come back to America 1900 years later while we reject the constitution. You know we hate the Constitution. we we and then we try to bring communism over to this country and declare that we're America because our father, you know, Tommy McMurtry the second, he was from America, but it's like, but wait a minute, you've been out of the nation for a long time. You're coming back. You don't have the same ideals. You're not following the Constitution. Nothing in our Constitution says that if you just descend from an American at any point in history, that makes you a part of that nation, and there's nothing in the scriptures that say that either. There, so there's th- these people have no biblical claim to the name right. of Israel whatsoever, right. and that's that's irrefutable. It's, it's right. irrefutable, and but they just ignore it. And then uh, anti-Semitic, but well, we've got I, I got one more video I want to get to. You know, you mentioned Hamas and. Uh I I think one of the reasons I'm playing this video is just kind of obnoxious. It's kind of obnoxious, but I want to I want to use it to to illustrate how people are so obsessed with the Jews, they act like Hebrew is some magical language. And 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 uh and we're gonna watch a woman claim that Hamas was prophesied in the Bible. Oh no. <laughs> this is this is bad. All right, this this is this is obnoxious, but let's let's watch. This will be the last one.
1: Hamas is actually in the Bible. Is it is it possible that God prophesied this? All of this was actually in the Bible before it even took place. Well, Genesis 6:13, it says this. Then God
6: said to Noah, The end of humanity has come before me, for the earth is filled with
1: violence. And that word violence in the Hebrew is the word Hamas. <laughs> Oh my goodness! That's like these people that go back and say, "I see, I see this creature with eagle wings. That must be, uh, or or a lion with eagle wings. That must be. Let's see, Britain and America. (laughs) These guys are nuts." Yeah, I I mean mean, mean, violence. I mean, I I don't agree with Hamas, but I've been doing a real deep study on the 1948 and the Nakba. You talk about violence. And especially on the Christian, their first goal was the Christians around Jerusalem. And I was reading about how the King David hotel, uh, Menachem Begin, uh, killing their own people, uh, slaughtering these Palestinians. I mean, just throwing bombs into their houses, men, women, and children. You talk about violence. Yeah. Anyway, so Hamas means violence. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so when, yeah. So the thing is it, it only could have been talking about Hamas when it said violence. During that time, I just the stuff people come up with—it's so frustrating. But you know, I could see that uh, becoming a big thing in a lot of prophecy conferences and stuff uh, (laughs) pretty soon. But no, the yeah, the uh, I tell you, the it's studying the history of 1948. It is—it's a very fascinating thing. And one of the things that I was always told—I was always told about the miracles of 1948, the miracles of 1967. And they're just not there. It's just like, and and I'm saying this according to what Jewish historians are saying. I sometimes think Zionist Baptists, often we dramatize these things and embellish these stories beyond what the Jews do. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's like these prophecy preachers, they've got to have something new every year when they go back to these churches. And so they're just, they're just making up stuff that isn't there or they're telling something it got people's attention. And so then they just kind of retell it, but they embellish it a little more. It gets a little better all the time. And
1: they they say the greatest miracle here, let's talk about miracles for a second. They say the formation in 1948 of Israel was the great miracle that proves that God's word is true. And a lot of people are basing their faith on Israel, 1948. And they say, this was a great miracle a nation born in the day well let's get rid of that that wasn't born in one day i mean this was in the planning by the rothschilds clear back 10 years before 1917 1917 they had the balfour declaration 10 years before that they were saying we need to get a buffer zone with egypt we need to have trade routes through there that the arabs are not going to be stopping it was a financial deal it was. And they, the, it wasn't born in a day and it wasn't a miracle. And so people say, well, that miracle sh- proves my faith. That was a great miracle. The greatest miracle that I have faith in God from is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the going into all the world and making disciples of all nations and having Christianity spread. And I say that from this point here. The Bible. The Lord asked the the Pharisees, he said, or or he told him, he said, there's no sign given unto this wicked generation. The sign of God's power and presence and his will on this earth was like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish rose again, the third day. And then what happened when Jonah came out of the fish, a miracle happened, a whole heathen City, huge city was born again. Gentiles trusted in God, the God of Abraham. That was the miracle. People say, well, the miracle of 1948, that was a great miracle. That proves that God keeps his word. No. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, not the death, burial, and resurrection of the nation of Israel, as they teach. And Brother mm-hmm. Matthew that out so well. And he said, people are putting their faith in Israel instead of in Christ. And so, yeah, these, the miracles of 1948. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard all of them and I've been researching. I've got a ton of books here. I'm looking and there's nothing written about any of that stuff, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I never thought of it that way, but you're right on the money. They are talking when they look at prophecy, they talk more about the resurrection of a nation, than the Matt, resurrection of Christ.
1: I'll give him credit for that. Brother Matt first did a good job on that. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah. No, no, that's,
0: that's good, though. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming. There's a lot of really good stuff. Definitely need to have you back on the program sometime. Um, maybe one of these days, too, because um, I'm fascinated with the historical stuff. I've really only started looking into this stuff in the last year and there's still a lot that I don't know uh the problem is I get a little nervous talking about some of that stuff because you know right. I'll get kicked off of YouTube too. yeah <laughs> but may, maybe one of these days we can have some conversations we can figure out how to present some of these things but uh you get in trouble for looking into this history
1: which tells us what we know who's running things yeah yeah <laughs> I before be yeah. careful, you, you, you know who you can't speak out, of. you know who rules over you, you know that saying, Oh who yeah. you can out against, and it was, it was like this in the first century. I'm telling you, brother, it was like this in the first century. If you spoke out against the temple, the nation of Israel, the whole system, you would, in fact, Apostle Paul talked about it there, I believe in Galatians, he said, they zealously affect you. This, okay, this sums it all up. They, Paul said, they zealously affect you. That's good King James 16, 11 words. And it's simple. It just means they work day and night to gain your affections, to get you to feel pity and uh, laugh when they laugh and cry when they cry. And your affections have to be on the Judaizers representing Israel. And he, he said, and if you want, aren't affected by them, if you aren't playing their crying game, if you aren't crying at their wall outside of the gates there, um then he says they cast you out until you come back and you were affected and then paul said this though he said it's always good to have your affections for a good thing meaning christ and the church but he said Be- having your affections on this world and the, the secular nation of israel doesn't do you any good and that's why i go back to this you know in hollywood they they uh, and i don't i don't like the passion i don't uh Uh, Mel Gibson's, I don't recommend that. But but with that aside, in Hollywood, they don't like the passion. They don't like anything talking about Jesus and his suffering. They don't want people putting their affections on that. Mm -hmm. But they do have their affections on, you know, the suffering of the nation of Israel. So that's another story now. But Paul said, they'll cast you out. And we're living like in the first century. If you If you speak out and you tell the truth about what's going on, I mean, Baptists will cut you off and cut you short. They'll say all manner of evil against you falsely. They'll take you before the, the, you know, before, what does it say, before the magistrates Mm -hmm. and before the courts. I've had that happen to me. We are in the same situation as the first century. The Pharisees have control of the minds and the hearts of a lot of Baptists. And they have control of about everything else. So yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I I agree a hundred percent. A lot of good stuff. Um, but yeah, again, appreciate you coming on this program. And uh uh what's what's the name of your church and what town and state are you in? In uh Oklahoma, right?
1: <laughs> We're down in Kansas. Or Sun Kansas, City Kansas, that's right. Historical Sun City Baptist Church. I've pastored there for thirty years now. Okay. So, yeah, Amen. it's the, an older building, 120 years old, and we've uh, maintained it and uh, have a lot of history there, a lot of great things that have gone on. Ran a girl's home for a lot, a lot of years, a lot of young ladies serving the Lord, and some of them are now married to pastors and their pastor's wives, not all of them, but we've had a good number of them, and, uh, and uh, the Lord's really moving in our church. Ever mm-hmm. since, ever since, I found the power of, And I found the knowledge of Christ more than ever anything else. And we've seen many great things happen in this church. When I turned like Paul did from all that old covenant stuff of the nation of Israel. And I remember the day I did it, it was like the day I got saved in my heart and my mind. And I was scared. I'll close out with this thought here. I was scared. And I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm going to turn from my love and adoration for the secular nation and their government in the Middle East, not from the Jewish people. No, but I remember the time and I thought, Oh no, is God going to strike me Mm -hmm. down? I've been, we'd all are trained that, that fear. And uh, I turned to Christ and his Bible and the local church and all of my affections went off of the Middle East and it went to Christ's local church. And I, Man, I could go on and on with the the miracles we've seen happen in this church. And we've won in court with our girls home time and time and time again. And God worked many miracles. And we were able to keep our girls home, not take a license. We won over time and time again. But I had to turn to Christ and love him with all of my heart without reservation. And that's my challenge to the pastors because you can't love Uh, Mammon, you can't love Antichrist and the system of Antichrist and Christ at the same time. And I just tell preachers, we need to get back to Christ, get back to that, the word of God, get back to the local church and forget all this stuff in the Middle East there.
0: (laughs) Amen. Well, that was Pastor Jeff Woods, everyone. A lot of great stuff and uh, definitely, definitely enjoyed that conversation. So I appreciate everyone who watched this today. I hope you got a blessing from it. And so we will see you all next time. God bless.